Welcome to Dr. Cindy Speaks. Regular musings and reflections on politics, current events. Dr. Cindy Banyer is a mom and small business owner fighting for our water, our health, our community. She's running for the people of Southwest Florida, trying to flip Florida 19 from red to blue. Listen as she speaks truth to power. Hello, this is Dr. Cindy Banier with Dr. Cindy Speaks. I am the 2020 Democratic nominee for U.S. House of Representatives, still continuing the fight for the Democratic principles in the state of Florida. And we are coming to you here on December 11th at 1037 a.m. And we have a great show coming up for you here today. We are going to be talking with Dr. Janelle Christensen, who is running for the Florida Democratic Party chair. So that's a pretty big deal here. The election turnaround for that is is, uh, very short. It's coming up in January here. But what's really important to know here is that we are in a crisis situation with the Democratic Party in Florida. We took massive hits across the state, massive losses. We lost the state for Joe Biden. We uh, lost congressional seats, and we were not able to flip any seats across the state. And this has a lot to do with how the Democratic Party has been organized and basically their strategy and philosophy, which seems to be just about handing out dollars to their favorite candidates and everybody else just, you know, twists in the wind, so to speak, when it comes to support from the state party. So we are going to be talking here with Uh, Dr. Christensen about what her plans are to reform the party and how we are going to keep Florida from becoming Trump-landia once he comes here in January. And, you know, looking at crazy things like secession, which honestly, I can't even believe that this is a topic of conversation right now, but this is actually something that people are talking about. And people by people, I mean, Republican Trumpers are talking about this. There is a state legislator in Texas that is considering filing a bill in their state legislature uh, to secede. And there was a poll done yesterday around Southwest Florida polling Republicans, and a very large portion of them said that they would agree with secession, which is beyond the pale insanity, frankly, because it's not um, legal. It's not like you can just go and, you know, say, hey, great, we're not part of the U.S. anymore. Uh, You know, much like the, the, you know, people in Britain are finding out with uh, Brexit. And and that was a years and years and years and years long process to extricate themselves. And now Boris Johnson at this point in time, uh, you know, has egg on his face because he can't even come to a deal around uh, new trade negotiations uh, with the European Union and various other components um, around Europe. And yeah, so it's just really ridiculous that people are so simplistic and so misled about how our government and our governing structures work that they can just simply wave a magic wand and say, I don't want to play anymore. And they're going to take their ball and go home. You know, I I pointed out in a tweet yesterday, and definitely you should follow me on Twitter, um, at Cindy Banier, FL. Um, You should definitely check out what I have to say on Twitter, because I get a little bit crazy. But 
Um, I, I said, you know, hey, you know, I, I don't want anybody, you know, just to know that you have, you know, it's not legal to secede. And um, if you think that it is, I really highly encourage you to get a book about how our government works and, you know, read it. But, you know, and don't talk about our constitution. You're a traitor if you're and not a patriot. And by the way, that military that you're thumping your chest about, that belongs to the federal government. There's no standing military in the, in the state of Florida to fight. Uh, just just for defense purposes, not only just the fact that like they're going to come and get their ass kicked by the federal government. Um, we also have, you know, no currency, um, no international trade ties. Um, and once we leave the union, if that were to happen, we have no uh, agreements for anything. Our, you know, our passports become invalid. Our licenses are no longer valid across state lines. Um, so, you know, you can completely count on a, the destruction of our industry. You know, all the stuff that we put on trucks and send out of the state of Florida, you know, things like, like I don't know, oranges and sugar, if you want to go the big ag corporate route, uh, those things, yeah, like that will be gone. Like they, they won't be able to go across the border anymore because we've seceded and become our own country, uh, which is, you know, so so goodbye economy. Oh, the other part of our economy that's so super important to people, you know, especially our Republican friends is our, our tourism economy, right? Well, guess what happens if we secede and become our own country? You can just say goodbye to every single one of those tourist dollars um, and all those investments in places like Disney and things like that. Those are going to go completely out of the window because everybody will have to have, you know, visas to come here. And we don't even have a process for that. So how are we going to negotiate that and have people come here? People will not be able to come here. Other people from other countries will no longer be able to come here. So our friends coming from Canada, Britain, uh, Germany, there's a big German contingent here in Southwest Florida. They will no longer be able to come into Florida because even if they have a visa to come to the United States, it will no longer be valid in the state of Florida. So this um, just right there, like there's just a whole bunch of reasons why everybody who says that, that Florida should secede because of some perceived cultural issue with Democrats uh, is so incredibly stupid and needs to be slapped with the Constitution in their face because I, I, they just need to understand how our government works. And, and, you know, we will engage with people who want to do that. But seriously, um, and I'm looking straight at Rush Limbaugh, I'm going to slap you in the face with the Constitution, Rush, if you say talk about secession again, because you are leading people down a completely ridiculous path. All right, there's the end of my diatribe for today. So I see that we have our guest in the studio here today. We have Dr. Janelle Christensen, uh, who is running uh, for the Florida Democratic Party chair. Um, Dr. Christensen, if you'd like to call in, there's a button over to the side that says call in. You call in there and I'd be able to get you in here. And I see her calling in here. We're going to let her in the studio here. Hello, Dr. Ben Hello, Dr. Christensen. Hi, can you hear me all right? Absolutely, we, we can hear you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on, Dr. Banier. Oh, my <laughs> pleasure. This is going to be a great conversation. So let me try to give the little bit of a lead in about you, and then you can fill in the gaps for us. Because what we do know Absolutely. is that um, Dr. Christensen is uh, the current president of the Democratic Environmental Caucus, which she has taken in a very short period of time, less than two years, I believe, from being, mm -hmm. you know, a, you know, a, a pretty decently, uh, you know, 
present group to a very effective group across the state of Florida. She really revitalized the way that they do endorsements of candidates across the state, making that a much more impactful process and meaningful process earlier on in the process. So coming from me as a candidate, I can tell you that that was a really big deal for me. And additionally to that, they instituted the legislative reviews and uh, report cards on environmental issues and the votes of all members of the state legislature. And that was a really amazing tool. And now anybody who cares about environmental issues knows exactly where these various state legislators stand based on their record, not the rhetoric, right? Because as we know, Republicans are just brilliant at greenwashing and telling everybody they care about the environment. And then their actual voting record is of course for their financial contributors, the sugar, the ag, the oil industry, uh, like my opponent, um, you know, they, they, they go and they bow to their masters when it actually comes to votes in the legislature and not what they actually are telling the people back on the home front. Um, in addition to that, Dr. Christensen did some really amazing work in during the 2020 election. She was uh, the, the main force behind recruiting candidates all across the state to run in what otherwise were vacant and orphan uh, red district uh, seats across the state. And this is part of, uh, you know, a fight them everywhere strategy, just like Barack Obama's 50 state strategy. You know, we leave no seat to the Republicans without a fight. And this is a brilliant strategy. And so she think, and she can tell me the exact numbers, I believe it was 41 candidates were recruited for this effort. Um, she also did fundraising around that initiative to get those candidates on the ballot and get their campaigns up and running, as well as to give them some resources because there were little to none available to them from the state party, right. believe it or not. And, and so, you know, the, those candidates were twisting in the wind once they had their candidacy. Some of them were met, by the way, with derision and, um, you know, complete uh, – um, obstruction in some cases. And she can tell us a little bit about that, but that is, um, that was the state. And so because of that experience, because of this amazing experience, you know, really, really bringing Democrats out of the woodwork across the state, um, and giving us hope that we can, we can fight in red districts, um, because of that, and because of really the failures of the democratic party, as it is right now, both on the leadership and the management side, we, um, she has been compelled, uh, pushed, cajoled, if you will, to run for <laughs> the party chair um, because there are so many people who think that she is absolutely amazing and just the right person and the right time to do this. So, Dr. Christensen, uh, you know, kind of based on this, uh, you know, introduction, you know, tell us a little bit sure, about you, you know, where you are and what's going on. Sure. Well, I, I just want to even back up a little bit. I first got involved just as a volunteer on a state legislative campaign back in 2018 after being blindsided or feeling very frustrated by uh, President Trump becoming elected. And then things like the the park, you know, Mark, the, the Parkland shooting and it made me start looking closer at what the state legislature was doing. And I'll be honest, even though I'm a politically engaged person, I didn't quite understand how important the state legislature was. I kind of, you know, it was something I voted for. I always did. I did research them, but I didn't understand how incredibly powerful they were Mm -hmm. in the state of Florida. 
So when I started working on this campaign, it started being, uh, it started making that more apparent. And it was, a, I started working with the Democratic Environmental Caucus at that time because we were having harmful algal blooms out here in Southwest Florida. And that's how I first made the connection. And then mm. um, I was recruited to start a local chapter. And within a few months, I was elected president of the whole organization. And we really started pushing to um, really make sure to streamline our organization, make sure that we were aligned with our mission and goals. And one of those mission and goals is to ensure to help elect environmental candidates. Hmm. So we have we want to educate this, the our our legislators. We want to educate the public on environmental issues, but ultimately we need to get out the vote and make sure that we are supporting and electing these these candidates because um, that it it doesn't matter how much you advocate to Republicans, you need to be electing these Democrats who will actually get something done. Mm. So that's why I started really pushing. And that is why we implemented, I mean, some of these, there were some infrastructure for some of these things like legislative report card, um, but I pushed it and I made training videos so that the public could understand it. Um, we started, you know, we did legislative tracking. We brought in to consistent to look at the legislation so that we could mm -hmm. communicate with legislators who are going to be voting on it. But when it came to the election, um, the idea to run candidates everywhere came from 90 for 90, uh, Dr. Fergie Reed, junior mm -hmm. and senior, they, they've run this strategy in Virginia. And after, a, I think it was three cycles, they ended up flipping the state legislature there. But it took time. Well, yeah. this was incredible because they weren't able to challenge everybody in the state legislature. We did all but one, like mm. we all, all 120 seats that were up for election. And now I have to just yes. clarify, I didn't recruit all of those. There were plenty of incumbents. There were many that were recruited through their local DECs. But by March, when we saw that there were still 33 seats that were uh, orphaned or uncontested, where a Republican was likely to walk straight in, that's when we started doing active recruiting within, you know, for environmental candidates. Now, at that time, it was going to be really hard to get all of the petitions so that because how it works in Florida is like, and as you know, you either get petitions and that waives your filing fee or you have to pay a filing fee, which is a certain percentage of whatever the salary might be should you win. Hmm. So for, con as you know, for congressional candidates, it's a ridiculous amount. <laughs> Yeah, it was three thousand, three thousand bucks or something, or was it more? Ten thousand is the final. Oh, we're like we were over ten thousand. Over ten thousand. Okay, so uh, people may not know this: the state legislature, they're only paid about twenty nine thousand dollars a year. They're only in actual session for thirty, or sorry, sixty days, and. I mean, which is ridiculous in and of itself. We need a full time legislature, but mm. that's a whole other thing. But they, because of that, their filing fees are 1800 Because we didn't have time to get all of those petitions, we raised their filing fees so that we could have somebody there. We're, we're trying to make this so that it's not a personal loss. Like running for office is hard. It shouldn't cost people running in difficult areas money to get our environmental message out, right? So mm -hmm. we started doing fundraising and it was mostly from small donors there were some bigger donors that came in and donated you know a thousand dollars to 10 different people and that was incredible that got people halfway to their getting on the ballot goal mm. but ultimately we did that and then we walked them through the paperwork 
Mm. So, so ultimately, in we walked them through the paperwork, raised the filing fees, and then continued to do trainings weekly. And we became a community where we mm. were trying to support each other. Um, we started right because there there hadn't been anything like that, right? There, you know, and I right. think that's what's really important to point out at this point in time is. So not only were these seats basically just going to be handed over to Republicans, maybe purposefully because of mm-hmm. some bathroom some cases, deals, sure. mm-hmm. but, um, but then, you know, there's, it's an incredibly cumbersome process. It's designed right. to create barriers for regular people Absolutely. to run and, yep. And then, you know, just even knowing where to drop off paperwork and things like that, it's it's extremely opaque, purposefully. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and and you would think that your party would be there to help you, but they simply weren't. In many cases, they weren't. Now, we do have, um, there's something called House Victory and Senate Victory, and they run programs that are, are, you know, have some support systems. They they have somebody that is paid to. And most people heard from that them about once if they had were not an incumbent. They're really good at supporting incumbents and trying to protect seats, and that is a very important thing. We need to protect our incumbents. And this year we lost some incumbents, and mm-hmm. that's not good. So mm-hmm. we definitely need to be protecting our incumbents. However, we also need. Uh, something similar to the municipal uh, program and uh, municipal elections program, which also was good. But we mm-hmm. need something like that for our, our state legislature and, and some of the other things, because this is important. If you don't have people running and then there's nobody to counter the message of the Republicans in the area. Mm-hmm. And you see that really powerfully in Lee County because mm-hmm. the Republicans and they've there have been people able to waltz into office without anyone can countering their message, mm-hmm. then people just think, oh, that must be the truth. But <laughs> once you start getting, and that's how what I learned in 2018 was number one, you know, it's, it's, hard, it's hard and people are scared to even let you speak as a Democrat, the mm-hmm. candidate, Dr. Parisi Matabe, uh, you know, people were skittish. The news was skittish. Yep. They didn't want to, they didn't want to upset the power structures that be. And then number two, the party wasn't at that time, they really weren't offering hardly any support at all. And mm-hmm. we were the only, and it was at literally somebody from the democratic environmental caucus, Dr. John Capiz, who was giving us the, the, the information and kind of some guideposts. Mm-hmm. And I was so appreciative of that, that that's why I decided to keep, you know, after the 2018 we were so, <laughs> election, it was pretty decimating and horrible. Mm. And but, but that's what kept me going was knowing that there were some things that could be done and we can make it better. Yeah, and that's what's driving me right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. And you know, that's that's a really important point to think about is that yeah, how these the philosophy of just helping those who have already succeeded, how flawed. That is. And frankly, how yeah. counter to the principles of the Democratic Party that is, is, that, yes. you know, we're supposed to be, you know, you know, all, you know, the, you know, the tide rises all boats kind of thing. Right. And, and right. yet we're, we still employ when it comes to strategy, this, you know, this very archaic, um, we're just going to give money to these candidates because they've already won. Right. And right. it's very, it's very dismaying for me as somebody who's been invested heavily throughout their career yeah. in capacity building 
that the right. leadership and the management of the party just simply could not grasp the concept of capacity building and the value in it. And so that running a candidate builds up that candidate and gives them the experience. It gives right. their community many times experience with having a Democratic candidate. So you can get over some of the things like you're talking about with the media, you know, not wanting right. to engage with them. But then you're also building their team and their volunteers capacity so that they right. can know how campaigns work and, and the technology and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that's in why that was such a hard fought battle for people to even understand. I don't I don't get but the well, other thing I, that I, mm-hmm. I, I was going to say, just one more thing before I hand it back yes. to you. The other thing that was really um, dismaying to me is is the messaging, but this concept mm. that there's inherently red or blue areas. Now, we know that, that the Republicans have gerrymandered districts. We know that. But without the counterpoint, um, everybody lives in isolation uh, and really just thinking that that is the only message. And I will say, I will take that even a step further because I've seen this happen in Lee County over the past decade is as much as there's, there's a narrative that this is a red area, but I'll tell you what, there's no understanding of what that means because so many of the candidates at the state level, at the local level, literally, like you said, walk into positions and they never have to publicly give an address. They don't have to have policy platforms on their website. They're literally just a Republican and they walk in. So a lot of these folks, they have no policy, no desire to do anything. They're just in a position. They're bought and sold by both the party and and corporate interests. And they just Mm -hmm. go in and they do what they're told according to that. There's zero public accountability for this. They come, they do photo ops, blah, blah, blah. But no, they don't even have to have a message or a platform outside of being being a Republican prom queen or prom king or something it's not an actual job it's a symbolic thing and Mm -hmm. that that's the problem Mm -hmm. like the king of edisonia (laughs) that's a real thing in fort myers guys sorry i know that's a little but like that's a real thing there's like the king and queen of edisonia and then there's like the junior king and queen of edisonia which like i've for the past 12 years been trying to figure out what in fuck that means like i it's literally and there's like adults that participate in it it's like adult um pageant kind of thing and right. honestly and i'm telling you it's like it, no in, place in politics we mean here's what's the gross yeah. part about it janelle and i don't know if you know this and probably nobody outside this area knows it but i was i was asking some of the old fort myers cohort of folks i'm like so how do you do it because it's kind of cute i'm like oh, i'll throw my kid in a dress on the float all right the way that that's determined, and this is the gross part, by fundraising back to the organization. So yeah. it's literally the richest people who can pay mm-hmm. the most money to get their kids in. And so, and even that's an opaque process, but it's so it's the richest people who can pay. But then it's like how really popular you are and you're, how popular your family is. And there's like this little secret board of people that mm-hmm. determine who are the king and queens of Edisonia. And it's based on money and popularity. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and so you are not wrong when you're talking about how that works. And frankly, a lot of those people then go in to walk into some of these seats. I'm looking at you, Jennifer. Right. Anyway. 
<laughs> so there's there's definitely a lot of that. I do want to I do want to back up a little bit and just say, you know, uh, the the previous chair uh, Terry Rizzo was very supportive of running people everywhere. It's just they felt their resource the DECs the, the local county leadership is, are usually the point people for recruiting local candidates. And there's an idea that there's a perfect candidate out there that fits a certain mold, and those are the people we want to promote. Now, that's true. We want people who tick some boxes to an extent, but when it came to the last minute, in March, we, we started expand, you know, being like, okay, let's not, let's expand our criteria. We started recruiting younger people with less mm -hmm. experience, mm -hmm. um, because it, who had maybe organizing background, um, with interest in environment in, in, and we're willing to push back a little bit. And yep. for the most part, and, and most DECs, because one of the things we did do is start reaching out directly to DEC chairs and say, hey, how are you doing on finding somebody for the seat? And there were some, not all, but there were some that said, oh, we're not running anyone there. We don't run Democrats there. It just makes the Republicans mad. <laughs> and um, there was one, I mean, in particular. And then the, there were others that they just, you know, they didn't know who we were and they, they were like, well, that's going to stretch our resources. Are you sure you, we don't believe yeah. that you're actually going to raise the filing fee. Like, are you sure? And that's fine because, you know, this was the first time we were pushing this. So that was a little bit of pushback, but for the most part, people were on board and they were willing to learn. They were willing to help me help the candidates. So I would say overall, the response was good. And I would say that um, most people understood or willing to at least try it during such a critical election with it with mm -hmm. you know a presidential election year mm -hmm. um there was pushback though from the senate you know how senate victory leader mm -hmm. and uh you know who felt like that was diluting resources and mm -hmm. of course all the candidates looked at me when i said are you concerned maybe you know what i don't know i'm a little worried and they were like what resources janelle you know, you're the one who are, you and your team, Margie Stein, are, are, are the ones who are giving us resources and making sure we understand what's going on. So, yeah, yeah, um, really, really funny that they're worried about sharing resources that they had no intention of giving anybody else anyway. Right. Well, they weren't going to share it. They thought it all should go to the most competitive races. Mm -hmm. and I, I mean, oh, by and the way, which, uh, what, is, what happened to those races again? Uh, yeah, they, they lost. lost. Right. They lost. Lost but, big. So, so here's the, the argument. I mean, it's hard to tell this year. This was a very unusual year, I would say. But by running people everywhere, we scared the pants off of the Republicans. They started mm -hmm. dumping ridiculous amounts of resources and attention here. I mean, interesting would it have been if if Trump lost his new home state, right? And mm -hmm. he didn't, so so this is so they for a number of reasons they, there was an incredible influx, and all we had to do to scare the pants off them was spend about seven thousand dollars on these state for each of these state house seats and show mm -hmm. up. Right? They yep. did that. That did not cost very much, and honestly, yep. I don't think throwing those seven. You know, like we raised about. You know, Maybe a hundred thousand dollars for all of these candidates, including their filing fees, including you know everything else. Those resources would not have won any of these other races, and they were all from mm -hmm. they were mostly from small donors from out of state. So it wasn't mm -hmm. like we were diluting the local donor base for them. It, it was people who were willing to give this a try. Yeah, and, and let me let me talk about that for a minute because this has been a pet peeve of mine for a while running here. Uh -huh. 
Um, Democrats are coming from what's called a deficit mentality, and it's a trash place to come from. It's this scarcity (laughs) of resources where everybody goes, this is mine. And you can't have any because this is mine. And if I don't have it, I'm I'm going to I'm going to lose or whatever. Right. This is mm-hmm. this, this was I was sat down and dissuaded from running based on this principle. That yeah. you're not going to get any money. It's a presidential year. We need to get all the money towards the presidential candidates. Oh, and if you do run, then you're going to be competing with everybody else. But here's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is, is that there is plenty of cash to go around. Much like with our federal budget, it's a matter of priorities of where we put it and being strategic of where it goes. And yes, dumping a million dollars into one race where they have a flush amount of money and they already have a flush amount of of their own fundraising, by the way. Most of those people who they gave state dollars to had a ton of of their independent fundraising. Mm -hmm. So if we had taken a fraction of that and invested it in these candidates and their campaigns across the state, then they would have built the capacity. They would have put the the Republicans on defense um, and it, it, it would have made a much bigger impact for those smaller campaigns than that drop in the bucket was going to make to the bigger ones. But right. it's I am so sick and tired of this deficit mentality because the truth of the matter is when it comes to donors – Republican or Democratic donors, okay? The big guys, they have enough to give to whoever they want. This is the truth, okay? If they, what they want is they want to see a plan. People don't invest in Florida Democrats because we don't have a plan. And we don't have a good history of execution. That's why we're running on this deficit mentality. That's why it's a struggle to get dollars in. It's because we have no proof of concept, guys. Because we're just willy-nilly throwing dollars at things, okay? And I can tell you from my records and my fundraising, and by the way, I raised over $200,000 as a solo candidate running my own campaign with a a very, very bare-bones team, okay? Very effective. Yeah, and and we raised $200,000 from over 5,000 independent donors, which is huge, all small level donors. We were averaging, I think it was like $23 or something like that per donation. When we pulled the numbers of how many people gave above $250, there were 65, 65 donors out of 5,000 gave over $250. So this is what I'm seeing is like, so the, those people and those 65 people who gave above $250, if they have $250 to give to random candidates, they're going to give them to whomever they want, right? You're not really, really competing for those dollars. That's what I need other Democrats to understand. Those people that can write max out donations, you're not competing for them because there's a limited resource with those donors. What you're competing with them on is proving that you're worth those dollars. Okay. And if we don't incapacitate candidates to prove that, they're not going to get it. So, I mean, I want everybody to stop this thing, this like fighting between Democrats over donors, because it's really, really, really not a thing. (laughs) Thank you. I completely. One of the, the major things that lead to that is this horse race mentality. People are thinking about their if they're going to give to a candidate, it's an investment and they want that horse to win or they're not going to get their 
return. And I think there's a lot of different ways to measure winning and people mm -hmm. aren't thinking out of the box enough because honestly, increasing a democratic voter turnout is still uh, a way to win and cut margins across, you know, cutting margins like uh, Collier County had 90% democratic turnout. They're one of the reddest areas where Democrats mm. used to think that they were totally alone and abandoned, but now because of effective <clears throat> outreach and mm -hmm. having full slates of candidates to get behind, and they have started improving and expanding. We're cutting margins. Now, if some of the bluer counties had showed up like we hoped they would, like they did for mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton, we mm -hmm. would have won Florida, but that didn't happen. Yeah. But we, we made some real improvements in some of these red areas that had been ignored in the past. We've yeah. seen how we can improve democratic voter turnout. So that's another way to win. You have to look at these other things. It's not a horse race, this is a team sport. And we need to stop saying like, oh, we're only gonna give you an endorsement or more money if you've raised a certain amount of money. It, it's, right. to me, that's very frustrating because you're, you're keeping, it's, you know, horse, cart, chicken, egg thing. So. Mm -hmm. um, well, and listen, I wanna, I'm going to jump on something here because I know that you're trying to be diplomatic as what you have to be when you are somebody who's running for a leadership <laughs> position. But I'm going to go ahead and call some people out right now. Uh, Steve okay. Simonides and the people who are in leadership positions around um, Miami-Dade who completely failed in terms of their turnout. It really seems like they sat back on their laurels and just figured that you know, Trump is so terrible that Democrats are just going to show up in droves. And and really, they they lost. They lost with that mentality. And now we have Manny Diaz, who is a former mayor of uh, Miami, who, by the way, has extremely disturbing um, history with that city, mm -hmm. including displacing thousands of people for uh, the, the, the new Marlins Stadium, um, which people are still upset about to this day the destruction of communities. I mean, that's exactly, you know, counter to democratic principles, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, and now he is running uh, with the backing of Michael Bloomberg, another failed rich man candidate uh, who thinks he can come in and just throw enough money at a problem and, and it'll fix it. And they are all so wrong because it's very clear from the track record of what has happened in Miami-Dade, as well as, um, this this concept that money is going to solve this problem. Now, we, we do need money, so let me be clear on that. But we also need to do the thing with the money, <laughs> right? Like, yes. That's where everybody seems to be missing. So we just kept throwing money down the toilet in Miami-Dade, thinking that they're out there getting out the vote and counter-messaging against the ridiculous socialism trope that the Republicans like to throw at them. And they didn't. They, they did not do their job. And I don't care how many people come back and say, oh, you know, well, we did our best or blah, blah, blah. But guess what, Buttercup? Your best was not good enough. And there is no way I'm going to sit here and allow that same mentality both that money solves yeah. the problem and that we're just going to coast in on blue areas. I'm not going to allow that to become the leadership of the Florida Democratic Party. I do not believe that they have the capacity and understanding of how to support Democrats across the state. I do not believe that they are fundamentally committed to electing Democrats across the state, which should be our mission, which is not, which we'll talk about in a moment. Yeah. But I, I am I'm not going to be enamored by this dangling of dollars to have a bunch of unsuccessful, incompetent, underperforming 
men tell the rest of us what to do when we're the ones out here day in and day out changing hearts and minds working with less and doing more so that's what i'm gonna say here um because i can because i've lived it and i've watched it and i i am not going to cede control of this florida democratic party to people like that and I think, and I'm going to add this right now, and I'm going to throw it back to Janelle, but this is the time where we really need to get our shit together. And this is why Trump is coming, guys. Trump is coming. He's coming right down to Florida, right across the other side of the state. He's going to set up there and he's going to give a big booster shot in the arm to this already well-organized GOP. They're so well organized that there are a significant number of candidates that are Republicans who are running in 2020 who've already filed for their next seat. How many Democrats have done that? Very few. Because we are too busy hemming and hawing and licking our wounds and trying to figure out our next steps. Pointing and blaming each other rather than getting on and doing the thing, which is running candidates, funding candidates, getting out the vote and doing the thing. Not talking about how you need to get your more consultants in and patting yourself on the back for the good job that you almost did. But understanding that we fundamentally need to invest in Democrats across the board, across the state to make a difference and make a difference even in the blue areas, guys. And that's what people don't really fundamentally understand. So we are really like facing down. And I started off this this podcast talking about the secession and, and the push for that amongst the crazy Republicans, you know, with Rush Limbaugh, who, by the way, is also in Florida, <laughs> banging the drum on that. Um Telling Republicans, putting this crazy idea in their mind, none of them care about governance. None of them care about the people. They just want to keep their power. And we're going to have little dictator wannabe right in our backyard, pumping up all these crazy ideas, emboldening DeSantis to do even crazier things, putting on pressure on our state legislature to do even more crazy things. And if you don't think that that's a serious threat, if you don't, if you think it's hard enough to deal with Republicans drinking the Trump Kool-Aid when he's in Washington, D.C., wait until he's in your backyard. Just wait. Because it's coming, folks. It's coming. And if we Democrats don't really look at this and understand what we need to do strategy and tactic wise to get it done. And this is not just sitting there and capitulating and having backroom deal and saying these are red areas and these are blue areas, which has absolutely happened here already. If we don't get up on it, it's literally the point this whole state may be lost because we will be under the thumb of a megalomaniac who's who's putting pressure on the leadership here and they may do completely completely crazy things and there will be no counterpoint if we cut off our own self at the knees mm-hmm. um so there's my <laughs> there's my diatribe let me throw it back to janelle here because there's a couple sure. things i want you to uh to respond to um in terms of that strategy and a conversation that you and i had right. uh, a couple weeks ago here that was really i think yes. a, a big revelation and it had to do with the mission so why don't you tell us a yes. little bit about that so I, I started, you know, I started, I participated in a lot of our meetings at the, the Florida Democratic Party level, because I am president of, of the caucus. And um, y- the decision making process is a bit sc- 
scattered. Um, I've also helped candidates and, you know, they ask about where's our platform. And then I've also worked directly with leadership to try to get tools for candidates so that they can be more successful. Now, there's been problems with all of that. And I started looking at why. And I looked up the mission and and it's kind of convoluted. It certainly isn't found anywhere on the Florida Democratic Party website. There is a nice slogan that says fair is why worth fighting for. And that is lovely. Uh, but how? How do you fight for what is fair? And but what what we do get when you look at the Republican Party of Florida, you go to their website, their mission is clearly stated that they are their mission is to elect strong conservative leaders. So Eureka. That's a completely different goal, right? All of their efforts, legal or not, <laughs> it goes to electing a conservative leaders. And we don't seem to have that laser focused goal. And it shows. It shows. Mm -hmm. And it, I've been seeing the fallout from that for, for as long as I've been trying to help candidates um, over the past few years. Again, when I took on, when I started uh, working with the, the, the caucus, the environmental caucus, the first thing I did was try to make sure that we were aligned with our mission and tying our decisions back to that. And it helped us be more effective. We could, we could say why we were doing it and we could justify it. And then we did it. We followed through. And I have to admit, there were always people who wanted to kind, kind of, you know, stymie things and, and keep things from actually happening. And, um, but we, again, keep coming back to the mission. What is our larger purpose? Is it, you know, our petty disagreements or is it to help candidates? And when I saw something hurting candidates, if there was a chapter that wasn't doing their endorsements or whatever, then we knew that, like, okay, we're no longer aligned with our mission there. We need to step in at the state level and make sure we're taking care of our candidates. Yep. Is that happening at the Florida Democratic Party level? No, because it's not clearly spelled out that's what they need to be doing. Mm -hmm. One yep. example of that, it, that that kind of spilled over into the news was access to van data, the Voter Action mm -hmm. Network data, the vote builder. So this is a tool for those who don't know that a lot of our Democratic candidates uh, depend on so that they can identify the Democratic MPA and Republican voters based on demographics and try to figure out who to target and where. It allows you to do more effective canvassing and work with the team. That's all well and good. It's kind of hard to use. It's clunky. Uh, the phone numbers are largely inaccurate, which really hurt us this year when we weren't going door to door as much. But we, at the same time, it's what we've got. And it's a tool that can allow our candidates to be more effective and act as community organizers in a way. So even if they're in a red area, they can still be getting out to the Democrats there. For example, mm -hmm. Lee County has 33,000 Democratic voters. We need to be engaging all of them, making mm -hmm. sure that they know when to vote, how to vote and who to vote for. And because, you know, down ballot races are sometimes confusing. So that's our job. And that's what candidates need to be doing. Well, the party and I knew this in 2018, they charge, just, mm -hmm. you know, a ridiculously high fee. Right. Okay. So they're trying, they have to pay, the party pays for access to this. And then they kind of, then they ask the candidates to pay for their parts of it. So they're recouping the cost. My, it, it infuriates me because we should not be, 
fundraising on the backs of candidates. You should be treating them like field organizers and give. And um, you know, especially when we were in a position where we were recruiting people kind of last minute because there were all these vacant seats and raising their filing fees. And then on top of that, if we wanted them to start being effective and doing outreach right away we'd have to raise them another thousand bucks right away. Mm -hmm. And when you're going from small donors, that's hard. Mm -hmm. And so we started working with the party and there was all this pushback. They wouldn't do it. You know, there was somebody coming, there was some funding and we thought maybe they'd give the candidates. It was a fight. Now, if our mission was clearly spelled out, our job is to help facilitate successful campaigns, then I don't think that would be a question. Uh It would be, you know, it would be like, we will do what it takes to help you run a successful campaign. We will do what it takes to help you win. And if that means fundraising outside to break so that we can give this to candidates, so be it. That's what our fundraising goes. So that goes back to what you were saying. You run efficiently, uh-huh. then you, you know, that's going to be more effective in helping people more than, um, a billboard maybe i love mm-hmm. billboards because there's a lot of people who aren't online but if you're thinking mm-hmm. about how to do direct outreach we need to give people the tools so that's just yeah. one example of how not having a clear mission hurts yep. our candidates and, and hurts and our ability to win i was gonna say let me let me also contrast this with with how the republicans operate in the state of florida because chris sproles uh, who is uh one of the republican mm. leaders uh in the state came out very mockingly yeah very mockingly after the election and said it's so hilarious to watch these democrats you know fight about this because there's not a republican candidate across the state that didn't get what they needed we gave them amazing data we gave them and, and it's my understanding that they actually get uh, you know, a $20,000 like startup grant to run their campaigns, um, which allows them to then hire people and things like that. And it's true. I mean, and, and I don't know, they don't, it's not like they publish that, but that's just what I've heard from other people and other candidates. But the fact of the matter is, is that they prioritize supporting their candidates and they su- yeah. prioritize giving them the tools they need to be successful. And I was getting, you know, beat up online by other people within the Republican circuit going, oh, our data is so much better than yours, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I don't have any base. Yeah, I don't have any base for comparison, but I believe it. And, you know, I, I want to add to that. about that. Yeah. <laughs> the other conversation that always I go back to on this is, and I, and I just want to clarify, you don't believe government should be run like a business. I do believe, though, that we need to apply some very basic business principles to the operation of an organization like a party. And that's where we get our ass kicked by Republicans every single day because their party is full of business people and marketing. And that's the messaging thing. And we can talk about that at another time, too. And we're full of policy wonks and you know, people who just you know, want to be nice like to people, I don't know, policy wonks like me, so I get it, but I'm also a business yeah. owner, and I yeah. also, you know, know about messaging a lot, because I've studied and researched, because I know that this is, a, this is a, a, mm-hmm. a soft spot for our side, but the Republicans, they kick ass at this, and so they know, they look at an organization, and I can tell you, because I also do organization development for a private sector company, I do training in this, and it is what we're missing. Mm-hmm. It's 100% what we're missing. If we don't have a mission and we don't have a vision 
And we don't have goals that support that. And then if we're not developing strategies uh, uh, behind that, which is very, very, very basic business principle management, how you get things done uh, effectively in the business world, and we can apply it to to this nonprofit world, right? And this political world. Um, If we don't do that, we are not being effective and efficient. And here's the thing, this goes back to the money thing, right? People who have a lot of money that want to invest in things, they want to see these basic structures in order for them to feel confident about their dollars. Okay, so people may invest in missions and they may throw money down a cause that they may or may not be able to solve because they're feeling emotional about it. But those donors who are making strategic investments, they want to see that stuff. They want to see the proof of concept. They want to see the strategic plan. They want to see the the rollout of how this is going to be implemented and what are the projected metrics, et cetera, and so forth. Right. And I'm not talking about polling. Okay, I'm talking about really, really simple uh, evaluation of the organization on an ongoing basis based on metrics, based on key performance indicators, based on what you're planning on doing, how you're implementing it. That is what donors want to feel confident in. And so you can pretty much go back and I can tell you from watching how the Democratic Party has tried to put together events. I could have told you back in the fall of 2019 that Florida wasn't going to get a Democratic, wasn't going to bring a Democratic president because we didn't have any zero, zero of the 21 presidential candidates at the state convention. And the reason that was is because it was put together with twigs and glue. Okay, it was one of the most poorly organized events I have ever seen. There was very little lead time. There was very little agenda setting. There was very little communication to the participants. It was extremely expensive to go to. And then there were parts that you couldn't even get into if you didn't pay additional dollars to. I mean, the gala looked really well organized, but everything else was a complete shit show. So there was no point unless you were somebody who was already engaged in the party because there was business aspects of it, which is really common with conferences. Trust me, I've run national and international conferences before. That's a common thing. But there has to be something else there. And it was very clear that there was no organization. A week ahead of time, I had no idea what the agenda was going to be because I had no communications for this thing that I had paid hundreds and hundreds of dollars for. So, I mean, it's that kind of stuff. I mean, for real, like I expected the state convention to be like this really amazingly well put together, just not only rally of Democrats, but like that was really actually going to help people in a, in, in a specific way and allow us to network and engage. And and it really just wasn't. It was flat and there was no presidential candidates. And I was sitting there going, oh, my God, we're a swing state. We have so many electoral college votes and there is no Democratic presidential candidate here rallying and inspiring us. And I swear it's because nobody actually got enough organization to call them. And this goes back to the management side of the the Democratic Party here. Um, So, you know, I really think that Terry Rizzo did an amazing job in her capacity as the cheerleader and the fundraiser for the party. Mm But it's really the other side with Juan Pensaniola and uh, all of the other high paid double dipping consultants that he brought in that really, really 
caused a massive amount of problems for Democrats across the state. They were the stewards of the failed strategy. They were the ones that did not do these really basic organizational and implementation components to make sure that Democrats were being elected across the state. So for me, the, you know, the blame when it comes to what happened uh, as far as technically across the state during 2020 falls on the management of the organization. Maybe Janelle, you know, you having some inside, uh, you know, view on all of that. What, what do you see after, you know, what you know about what was going on at the state party during 2020? I, I can't disagree. I, I feel that, um, in addition to Terry Rizzo being very good at cheerleading and, and she really did reach out to a lot of the, the, the red counties as well, or historically red, I'll call them. Um, <laughs> she also was a good peacemaker behind the scenes. I, I do want to give her credit for advocating um, to some of the naysayers or the candidates that we, we recruited. So behind the scenes, she was doing that. Now, as far as the conferences, it's true. We did not have any presidential, uh, candidates. They were, they were all focusing on, I was told they're all focusing on the early states, the, the ones that have their primaries early. Nonetheless, we're a huge state and very important. And it seemed odd that we were ignored, but, and I, I'm not sure why it may be the organization. It may be that I, I, I don't have an answer. Um, but it was, it was odd. And I, but I do problematic decisions made and, you know, ultimately the the t the chair holds responsibility, but you hope that the management side makes good decisions. And there were a number of problematic decisions. I believe that it was the management that was blocking our ability to get van access for our candidates, even yeah. after we even after Commissioner Freed said that she would fundraise for it. You know, we had all so many things were coming together and still there were barriers from the management. And I know that I do believe um, that Terry Rizzo advocated for us, but it was shot down by mm. others on the management side. So I, I, I don't know because I wasn't there. This is kind of, you know, hearing how some meetings went. And so it's hearsay. But it does seem to me that the root of the problem was with a particular philosophy that was not. Hmm. rooted and helping candidates win. So I, I guess overall, I would agree. I was going to say, it's okay, you know, and that's why I'm I'm basing it on my experience and what I've heard too, but this right. is the court of public opinion and not the court of law. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to rely right. on the feedback that I've heard from other people who were there. Right. Um, but I want to yeah. say, I just, and we're, we're coming up to close to time here. So there's a couple of things that I want to touch on, but if you could just briefly, because one of the big failures of the management was of course the PPP dollars yeah. that were incorrectly obtained. Like, you know, you want to tell us a little bit about that or maybe some of your feelings on that, if you right. don't want to go into the hearsay. Right. So it's it's tough because I engaged with uh, leadership on this a few times because it hurt our, us badly and it hurt. It was a mistake that was made. And maybe it was because it, it was a new program and the guidance was not very clear at the very beginning. But nonetheless, one hopes that lawyers are looking at this and making sure mm -hmm. that we are protecting our reputation. Mm -hmm. uh, because when you don't protect the, the 
reputation of the party. We are a figurehead. We hurt the candidates downstream. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, and so everything to do with finances affects our candidates, even if that money's not going to them, even if the FDP doesn't influence policy decisions, we still reflect on the candidates or the people who are elected to office. And some people that mistake was made that, that the some of our more vulnerable Democrats, they lost their seats because they were pounded so hard on that. And when you uh-huh. talk about the messaging and data, um, you know, I wanted to circle back to that because yeah. there are other programs that we could look at. Um, and I think we should. But ultimately, um, yeah, that that was a huge mistake. And I, I can maybe see how it could happen if guidance from the government was not clear. However, you know, the Republican Party didn't. Some of the people did, you know, some of their firms did, some of the, but somehow they were able to turn it into us, making us look like a criminal. And, mm-hmm. and you know, when there have been other poor decisions made with the finances, uh, or, for example, taking money from sugar companies. That was one of the first things I had to engage with leadership mm-hmm. on when I came on this. There was a, at the gala, there was a big poster, mm-hmm. with, you know, from Florida crystals. It, and I, I had to be like, well, this hurts us. This hurts our candidates. This hurts our reputation. And yes, we need money, but is it worth the cost? Mm-hmm. Is it really, you know? And, and so I guess with the PPP loans, it, it's that same question. And, a, right. and if we go back, and this is one of the first things I would want to do is to, coming back to that mission is make sure that we recenter the FDP mission on helping candidates run ethical and winning campaigns. And we have to ourselves be ethical in order to reflect well on our candidates. And we have to reestablish faith in our in the party so that the donor class is willing to give to us. And I think that also, if we really are showing people what it is we're providing for candidates in a measurable, documented way, that in, that maybe the small donor base might start giving to the party, maybe $5 a month or something. And that gives us something sustainable and it democratizes our, our uh, income, I guess, so that people have an ownership of what's going on, rather it being a, one or two people who give $10,000 or a mm-hmm. company that, and then it looks like we're beholden to them. Mm-hmm. And we should be beholden to the people. And, yep. and if the best way to do that is appeal to people to, to want to support us like they do candidates. And we can do that by supporting our candidates. <laughs> so, because right. it actually did happen that during the campaign, I had some big donors come to me, um, and they said, "We don't feel confident giving money directly to the party right now. We're afraid it'll be used to pay back PPP loans. How do we give to the candidates? How do we help the candidates?" And so we had an Act Blue, a Tandem Act Blue page, where they could give, you know, fifty thousand dollars and a thousand dollars would go to each candidate, mm-hmm. and. So we found workarounds, but this was outside of the party, right? right? So because they couldn't trust the party to make good decisions. So that's what, but if mm-hmm. we can prove that we are making good decisions and showing that, then we could perhaps rebuild faith. And yeah. that is absolutely essential. And that ties back to the mission. It ties back to, you know, and one of the things we need to provide is better data and make it more accessible once we have it. So those, I have a whole platform. Um, I have about five points, and the first one is recenter the mission. I think that 
you know, at the, the insider stuff, we need to sit down and I, I don't know if people don't know this, but those conventions are also kind of our meeting. We have a meeting every six months with the board, mm -hmm. the, F the Florida Democratic Party board. And decisions are made and they go through the bylaws, you know, an amendment here, amendment there, but we usually only get through maybe one change in the bylaws okay. every six months because we run out of time. At some point, we're going to have to sit down and go through all of it and stop tabling things. If Even if it takes a week of full-time meetings on this boring stuff, yeah. we need to get a clean slate and start fresh and make sure that everything is tied to this, this particular goal. And then we start tying everything back to it. We need, and, and that shouldn't be too hard. You know, that is something that new leadership could do. Uh, we just have to make sure we have form and that people can plan for it, but it could be done. And then you can start getting, you know, into other programs and, you know, like bringing research in-house, um, reestablishing financial stability by regaining faith and focusing on, you know, donors. We could expand the roles mm -hmm. of clubs and caucuses to help with, you know, assisting legislators and evaluating the legislation that's coming through. We could partner with aligned organizations to do things, you know, we are constrained as mm -hmm. a political party. There are things that are we cannot be as agile doing, but we can partner with organizations that have more flexibility. Um, and again, really just coming back to that, that uh, candidate support. By the yeah. way, the Republicans use, as far as data, there is a, the Republicans use something called Aristotle or AI 360, and it's that big brother data um, that basically strips every decision you've ever done online mm -hmm. or anywhere you've ever driven with your car, you've gone to with your car. They, they and create this profile and that's how they test messaging that, mm -hmm. that is available to us it's uh, kind of gross if you, it's big brotherish like i said but it is something we're going to have to look into because if people society is being manipulated with this stuff then we have to be yep. able to at least counter it you have to fight back and i just say i i didn't even you know realize that there were so few meetings to make decisions yeah. at the party level because that's astonishing because i've i've been with very big organizations on a board and very small organizations mm -hmm. on the board and they meet quarterly at the least oftentimes monthly to get things done and so it's astonishing to me and really frankly just demonstrative of the lack of desire for the party to have to get work done and to have oversight and transparency. Um, that's, that's what that smacks to me. And I do a lot, by the way, I do a lot of like board governance stuff and working with organizations to improve their board governance. And, and that is exactly what I heard when you said that, that this is an organization that is not really invested in bringing people along and they're invested in just doing whatever it is that they want to do on a day-to-day -day basis behind the scenes without any sort of oversight. And that's what well, needs to change. It's so hard because everyone, so many are volunteers. Like as the president of the Environmental Caucus, I'm just a volunteer. I have a full-time job and kids. And then um, the only, and then all of the DEC chairs, all the state committee people, they're not paid. We are mm -hmm. all volunteers. And, but again, candidates are volunteers too. So I just mm -hmm. also want to point that out. Um, and then, um, the, the, the only people who are paid are some of the executive team and, you know, the chair, vice chair, there's some paid position. Most part we're volunteers. So getting hundreds of people in the same place, even if it's, it's now virtual, so that makes it easier, but mm -hmm. you know, it, it can be t tricky. 
I think now that we that you know, COVID nineteen has forced us to move forward so that we can become more accessible and we can have more meetings as needed and we can maybe make more changes now Mm -hmm. than instead of making everybody travel to Orlando because it used to be you know you could maybe have a proxy but for the most part you had to be there and so this it things are changing I think for the good and I do want to acknowledge I see a huge difference in how the Florida Democratic Party operated in 2020 versus uh, 2018. Uh, There were a lot of programs implemented that I think were really good. I I see a difference that was good and it's just we have a little bit further to go and we have to be very centered. Absolutely. That's that's my plot. Mm And, and so, well, thank you so much for being here today. And I know usually when I have candidates and, and things like that on, I ask them how we can support you. Um, I know that this, this, this race is different. It's not like people can it's donate your campaign and, or even no. get out and lobby to vote. But like, if there was somebody who wanted to help, um, how might they be able to assist you in this goal? The best, you know, honestly, I think making sure that you know who your DEC chair is in your county and who your state committee people are. And a lot of those DECs are going through their elections right now. But ultimately, those are the people who are going to the FDP chair next month. So it's a very short turnaround. It's important that everybody just kind of looks it up or contacts their their Democratic executive committee. Their de- um, in their county and just make sure they know who it is and then say, hey, have you heard about Janelle? She sounds like she would be great and I I encourage you to support her. That's the best thing you can do. And that takes a little super easy. It's not a click of the button, but you have to Google Google the Democratic Executive Committee in your county and then uh, make sure and write them like who is being elected? Who are the candidates? Do they know about Janelle? Like that's multi steps, but that is the best way. Those are the people who are on the next FDP chair. Yeah. Encouraging them. That's the best way. Yeah, that's great. I would say too, for those who are already involved in the party, reach out to the caucus uh, chairs and presidents, uh, the state caucus yeah. chairs and presidents. And you can just say, cause that this stuff matters. If you just say quick email, quick phone call, Hey, you know, I heard Janelle and her platform. I'm really upset with how things have been going. I think she'll be a great change. Um, that kind of stuff can matter. Phone calls to these folks can matter. Um, if anybody's interested in writing an op-ed, um, you can absolutely you yes. know, reach out to us. You can check us out on, uh, Dr. Christensen does have a Facebook page that we're trying to produce some of the messaging around. But um, mm-hmm. she can, you know, if you do that kind of stuff, those op-eds and things like that can really be meaningful, especially because this is a statewide race. Um, but it's statewide to people in certain areas, but it can help to apply the pressure and help to get the messaging out yep. of change. Exactly. And do, you know, your, some of the state legislatures, uh, some of the state legislatures, uh, some of the people who are elected do have um, a vote. Um, Commissioner Freed has a vote. So you can you can reach out to those people, too. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, uh, Dr. Janelle Christensen. Thank you. And, um, for best me of again. luck. Absolutely. My pleasure. Best of luck in uh, your quest to uh, improve the Florida Democratic Party. Um, and uh, I know that there is uh, a lot uh, to, uh, in store uh, for you either way. So thank you so much for being with us. Okay. Here today. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Dr. Cindy Speaks. If you'd like to learn more about her, go to cindybanyer.com or connect with her directly at vote at cindybanyer.com. We love connecting with people.